Hello and welcome to Floods of Justice. We have an exciting episode where we are going to try our hardest not to talk about the coronavirus. We have special guest Justin Canoe from Tennessee Holler. Don't go anywhere. If you have your Bibles, open them to Amos chapter 5. And I want to read verse 24 where the prophet Amos says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, justice, justice. Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Led by Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs, affectionately known as Pastor Kevin or Rev Kev, he is the senior pastor of Franklin Community Church and founder of Franklin Community Development in Franklin, Tennessee. He is also a published author, teacher, professor, activist, abolitionist, husband, father, grandfather, scuba diver, and coffee connoisseur, which is why this podcast is brought to you from the coffee house at Second and Bridge in downtown Franklin. Let's begin the conversation. All right, so the magic word is not coronavirus. Not that you'll get kicked <laughs> off the show for talking about it, but that that is our, our goal. We feel like everybody's being bombarded. I know I'm being bombarded, and we have our news sources for coronavirus updates, but we thought, hey, let's try something a little bit different and add some variety and talk about something other than a pandemic. How are you doing, Pastor Kevin? I'm doing good. Uh, things, are, things are great to... Um, uh, not be talking about a virus. Things are going pretty good. Yeah, uh, but uh, <laughs> don't want to talk about a virus at all. Not even going to mention the virus. Yeah, no, we're we're hanging in there. My family's healthy. Um, we got plenty of toilet paper, so um, uh, so we're we're good to go. How about yourself? We're doing well. You know, you have your days, uh, but uh, everybody's everybody's healthy, and so that's that's all you can ask for. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of walking, so that may be one positive thing that's come out of all this. I, I go, I get to go on a long walk every day, so yeah. uh, you know, look for the bright side. Well, today, today I'm very excited. I know you've been talking to me about our special guest for for months now. I've been watching from afar for a few years now on the good work that he's been doing. Uh, uh, but I'm going to turn it over to you, Kevin. You know Justin really well. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a thrill to have a good friend of mine with us today, Justin Canoe. Uh, Justin um, is the founder of Tennessee Holler, which is a, a progressive news site uh, that tries to combine journalism with activism. And I've seen him in action. I've been with him on a few things, and appreciate all of his work. He uh, a couple years ago he ran for state office, um, ran a great campaign. First time that he had done that, and it was a really really good campaign. Um, he didn't win, but uh, he ran a strong race, and uh, I was hoping he'd stay in politics, but he's he's jumped over into the um, uh, journalism world and uh, is probably doing more good over there now. He He's at the uh, state capitol uh, most every day when they're open and uh, following uh, some certain people around and, and getting just some good information out there and does some great uh, video clips with um, with some really, really good stuff on it. Uh, several years ago, he was also an amazing race. He's been on an amazing race twice. And so we have a celebrity you know, with us today, uh, Justin Canoe. Justin, how are you doing? I wouldn't go that far, Kevin. I'm good. How you doing? How you guys doing? Thanks for having me today. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's our pleasure. And I wouldn't go that far, man. I don't, you're the only person I know who's ever been on an amazing race. <laughs> well, you should try out one day. You both should. The two Kevins. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> That's right. Considering no, but, the current world conditions, I'm I'm very fascinated. What was it like to be able to leave your home to go all over the world to not wear a mask? <laughs> like you, you were on a TV show that does everything that everybody's dreaming about now and can't do. 
It's actually really interesting you point that out. I would be willing to bet that the next season of The Amazing Race actually does have them wearing masks wherever they go. That's an interesting thing to think about. Um, Man, it was the best. Uh, It it was an incredible experience. I actually went on twice because the first time I went on, I lost my partner's passport in a monastery in Cambodia. Uh, My buddy Zev is who I went on with. He has Asperger's syndrome. And we just had a blast, man. It was it was the greatest. So highly recommend watching the show. But also, if anybody out there is ever interested, you know, we didn't have any special ins there. We just auditioned, sent in a tape, and got on, and it was the best. Yeah, and got on twice, man. What was your favorite place you visited? Favorite place? Uh, I think the thing that sticks with me the most is just how pretty Austria was. Vienna was just a beautiful city. Uh, India was pretty shocking the the level of poverty that was there and how crowded it was that was Zev's least favorite place but man we went to so many incredible places Vietnam Cambodia uh Japan China Brazil Austria Germany Liechtenstein all you know speeding through and and not spending a ton of time there but we just we got to really see the world in a way that you know really nobody gets to so we we just really appreciate the experience yeah, that's, that, that part does sound like a lot of fun, uh, being able to go to all those places. Uh, but anyway, the idea today for today's podcast, and one reason I wanted uh, Justin on is because Justin is, is uh, in the middle of a lot of things going on in Tennessee, or a lot of things that were going on in Tennessee before uh, everything kind of came to a halt. And so um, um, I just want to open it up to him to talk about some of the issues um, that are going on in Tennessee, that were going on in Tennessee, uh, that maybe we've kind of forgotten about um, because of um, of the coronavirus, and uh, but yet there are things that we still need to pay attention to. So, um, so Justin, what do you think is one of those important things that was happening before all the before all this before the shutdown and some things that we can't forget about? And we still need to be talking to our legislatures about. I think even though we're trying to avoid the virus as a topic today, the thing that I've really noticed is that everything's really tied together. And the virus has really held up a mirror to show us how fragile our society is and how on the edge so many people already are. I mean, you know, we've now seen 16 million people unemployed, hundreds of thousands here in Tennessee. And it just reminds us that, frankly, not every county is Williamson County, Kevin. I know we have it pretty good in the county that we live in, but you go five minutes outside of Williamson County and it gets pretty impoverished pretty quickly. And rural Tennessee is really what's going to get hit the hardest. So the issues that were in the zeitgeist in Tennessee before this, whether it be Medicaid expansion that we still haven't done when 38 states already have, or, you know, the vouchers that are going to hurt our public schools that already get an F in education funding, you know, the issues that the virus reminds us about are the issues that we were already dealing with. So, you know, Tennessee is struggling on a lot of levels. And even though Governor Lee and the, the Republican supermajority will stand up there and talk about how fiscally stable we are, and kind of brag about our budget. The truth is we're number one in medical bankruptcies. We're number one in rural hospital closures per capita at the bottom in infant mortality, at the bottom in maternal mortality, at the bottom in opioid deaths. So there's a lot of problems in this state that they just don't like to talk about. And part of why we started the holler was because we really do need to talk about those things and people need to understand that the narrative that they get pitched on a daily basis from the people in charge is not the whole truth. And the whole truth is that, you know, there are a lot of things that are going by the wayside in this state. And 
that the we like to talk about our low taxes, which is great. And you know, I like paying low taxes too, but that comes at a cost. And there are things that we're simply not investing in, education, healthcare being two of them. And then of course there are issues that you've been involved with, Kevin, which are the racial issues in this state that we can't ignore. We have a, a KKK bust in our state capitol right now, still sitting there to this day, that I think they're probably relieved not to have to talk about for the last couple of months that we're going to make sure that we remind them of the, the second we get back up there. You know, so there, there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of things that are getting brushed under the carpet around here. Yeah, there really is. And, and I agree with you as far as it's all tied together. Um, and, you, and whatever problems we had as a state are really, um, um, the, the spotlight has shined on them pretty bright with, with the virus. Uh, and just the two issues that you mentioned as far as Medicaid and uh, education, uh, there's just such a direct cor- correlation between that because we've had, as you mentioned, all these rural hospitals closed. Um, and now, um, if this pandemic were to get worse, hospitals that we could have been using are closed. Um, people who don't have health care. You know, one of the things that, that struck me uh, that I'm hoping people realize um, is that, you know, our health care system is, is tied to employment, right? You know, you get your health care through your work. And now your business is shut down for no fault of your own. I mean, no one, no one calls this as far as I know. So your business is shut down. You get laid off or you get let go. Now you don't have health insurance. And then you get uh, this particular sickness and you have no, you have no way to, uh, to, to get the help that you need. Um, you know, I mean, you'll get some help because, you know, the hospital is not going to turn you away. Uh, but yet it just it makes no sense. To, hopefully this helps people see that it makes no sense to tie health care um, into your job um, that, you know, so if you don't have a job, you still need health care. Well, Kevin, you're preaching to the preacher about that. I mean, that's, 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 you know, I mean, that's, I've been saying it for a long time. I'm not the only one, you know, it's outrageous that there are people out there who are trying to sell us that tying our healthcare, tying our lives to Mm -hmm. our livelihoods is a long-term answer. And it just isn't. We saw it first uh, a few months ago when the UAW workers went on strike at GM and GM, the first thing they did was cut Mm -hmm. off their health insurance. And now we see it with this, 16 million people have lost their jobs and with it, their health insurance and their security. And first of all, you know, obviously we need to expand Medicaid in this state to make sure that we cover more people here who are finding themselves in that predicament. But on a bigger level to me, and you know, this is something that we can talk about until the cows come home, I think we need to solve this federally and everybody needs to be covered under Medicare for all or something like it so that we don't have these discussions and that we take this weapon out of the hands of Governor Lee and people like him who have shown us that they don't actually care enough about it. So, you know, I think we need a federal solution. I think the way that we handle healthcare in this country is an absolute scandal. We pay more than twice the number two country as far as percentage of GDP, and our results are nowhere near as good as about 40 other countries, civilized countries. So I'm glad you brought it up. You know, I think we have a lot of work to do. And when a virus like this hits, and we have so many people, first of all, not covered, but also worried about going and getting taken care of because they're worried they're going to get hit by a bill. You know, what that does is it makes people walk around sick and it makes us all more under threat of actually catching this thing. And then, you know, on another level, there is no moral justification for only caring for people who are sick with this particular virus. There is only a political one. So if we're going to say that we need to take care of people who are sick with this particular virus, why should we not take, a, take care of somebody who's sick of another disease or of cancer or who needs leukemia uh, or who needs uh, a chemotherapy? There is no moral reason 
to only care for people who are sick with one particular thing. And Governor Lee got asked about this at a press conference the other day, you know, by multiple reporters back to back, asked him, why are we not expanding Medicaid? And he kept saying, well, we're only concerned about the virus right now. Well, there is no yeah. moral justification for that. No, there's not. And and what, I mean, healthcare, I mean, I've been, I've been following healthcare, but I'm not as passionate um, about healthcare um, as some of the other issues I'm involved in. I kind of leave that to you and our friend, Kristen, you, you, you guys carry that. I'll, I'll, I'll come over here, but this has um, kind of shown me, you know, you know, what, what you're talking about, but what is it about, like, since we don't, if you can explain, since, since we don't, um, since we haven't expanded Medicare, um, you know, we're losing, not only are we losing federal money, right? We lose federal money because we don't expand Medicare. Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's Medicaid. I know I get confused okay. about it too, but yes. All right. So, so basically we pay these taxes already. Yeah. Right. And instead of taking back what amounts to a billion dollars every single year that would that go would keep towards- those hospitals open and stuff like that. It's just math, Kevin. Like yeah. the Republicans don't want us to believe that, bringing a billion dollars in healthcare funding back to this state would help our hospital, but our hospitals sure believe it. That's why they offer yeah. the cover the 10% Delta between it's a, so the way it works is it's a nine to one match. So for every dollar the state puts in the federal government puts up $9. So it's 90% to 10%. And the 10% that those that the, the super majority was worried about the hospital said, you know what, if you're really worried about that 10%, we'll pay for it because mm-hmm. we're going to benefit so much by bringing back that 90%. So that was, that's been six or seven years now that we've rejected a billion dollars every single year that would have covered 300,000 Tennesseans that are going uncovered. And it does not save us any tax money because we're paying right. those tax dollars. That money's just going to other States. Well, that's so, what I was going to point out and ask you, because my understanding is right, we're paying that money to the government, we could get it back, but we don't. And so not only are we not giving it back, but we are in essence helping to subsidize other states' health care. That's it. It's not it's not much more complicated than that. And instead of expanding Medicaid, which by the way, the governor could do tomorrow, but he's not doing. And by the yeah. way, our Republican governor before him, Governor Haslam, called it free money from the federal government and had a plan to expand yeah. Medicaid. Also, Vice President Pence did it in his state as governor of Indiana. So, you know, this is a bipartisan thing now. We have a bipartisan bill in our state legislature proposed by Ron Travis, who's a Republican, who wants to expand Medicaid. So this isn't just a bunch of liberals running around talking about this. This is Republicans who have done it. And and the reason not to, there's not a good reason not to, except for they just don't like Obama still. Oh, this yeah. was under Obama's uh, Affordable Care Act that we would have done this. And it's their animosity towards him that is causing them to continue to put uh, politics over people today. So it's really a simple thing. We expand Medicaid. We accept these federal dollars back into our state. The hospitals have offered to cover whatever that doesn't cover, and they just still won't do it. And it's really, I call it policy murder. I know that's harsh, but it's just the truth because the statistics tell us that the states that haven't expanded Medicaid have more hospital closures. People die because of it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there are people who are dying that don't have to be because we haven't expanded Medicaid. If health insurance didn't save people's lives, it wouldn't be such a big issue. It obviously does. And what we're talking about is health insurance for more people at the bottom line. Yeah. And you know, this, this um, particular podcast is, is about looking at um, the issues of day, the issues of the day through a biblical perspective without the labels is kind of the key thing that we say. 
And so I don't like to use labels, but I'm going to use a label here because for me, this, this is a right to life issue. Um, you know, the right to life goes far beyond just uh, a woman's right to choose. I mean, when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to who can get it, who cannot get it. And so how um, in a state that, that claims to be so strong pro-life um, does not want to expand uh, Medicaid, Medicare, when the money is already there, I mean, it's money we've sent to the government that we can get back. It just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense. And so I'm glad you pointed that out because Haslam wanted to do it, but then it was Republicans at the state level who said no. Right. Cause he, he that's right. And, and I'm, I'm glad you bring that. I mean, to me, there is no more pro-life program than Medicaid and Medicaid expansion. This is what we're talking about is making sure that the poorest among us, the least of these, can go see a doctor when they get sick and not get hit with absurd bills afterward. Yeah. And I, I, you know, you know the Bible a lot better than I do, but my understanding is that we're supposed to take care of our neighbor and take care of the poor, welcome the stranger, and to be literally rejecting a billion dollars a year mm-hmm. that could be doing exactly that. When it doesn't do us any good to do that, yeah. it's hard to understand and hard to justify. And, you know, on a bigger level, I think, that's also the justification for something like a Medicare for all, which every single other country aside from us has universal coverage in some way, shape or form. When you talk to other countries, Kevin, about copays mm-hmm. and deductibles, they don't know what we're talking about. This does not compute for them because they right. decided decades ago that it was going to be a right to see a doctor when you get sick and that when you weren't going to go and have to wonder who's going to cover the bill when you get there. There are no other countries in this world that are sitting around wondering if they should go back to not having universal coverage and and something like the Medicare for all. We are sitting around talking about this because capitalism reigns here, but there's a difference between capitalism and greed. And at the end of the day, there are things that should not be about the bottom line. And I believe that healthcare is one of them. And incarceration is another. Yeah, and I mean, to to me, from my perspective, healthcare is a is a basic human right, um, and how people see it as a privilege and not a right is beyond me. Uh, I have uh, an uncle who has been a missionary in France for over thirty years, and uh, he's and I've heard him say that that's what he runs into the the you know these uh, people from France. They look at um, how and they would say, how can the United States claim to be a Christian country when they don't cover their um, citizens with healthcare. That's, it's immoral. And it's immoral for that to happen. It is immoral for somebody to get sick and as a result of getting sick, have to file bankruptcy. Um, you know, that, that's just, that's just, uh, it, that's just immoral. And, uh, and why, why we can't get people uh, to see that. And, and again, it goes back when I, I can't remember when it was, it was a few years back when I was trying to educate myself on this and, and, and ran across the article that said, okay, we're sending this money to the government. Not only are we not getting it back, but they're taking the money we send them and giving it to other states. And so we're not subsidizing our own insurance, but we're subsidizing insurance in other states. And that in itself, forget the morality of it, that in itself should cause people to say, now, wait a minute, no, if that's our money, if they're going to send it to another state to to, for their hospitals and for their health care. No, no, no. Let's go ahead and send it back to our state. Uh, but yet, uh, for whatever reason, it be it, um, you know, anything Obama did, um, administrations want to do the opposite, whatever it may be. Uh, people are hurting. The, the thing, the thing you keep in mind about this is medical bankruptcies are a very American thing. Yes. And Tennessee is number one in medical bankruptcies in that country. 
So we are the wow. tip of the spear in the world for medical bankruptcies right here in this state. And, and what makes it worse is we consider ourselves a healthcare capital because mm -hmm. we have so many healthcare companies in this state, in Nashville, that do so much good. And yet five minutes outside of Nashville, there are people that, are, that can't see a doctor when they get sick. You have remote area medical, which is a group that go, used to go and visit third world countries to yeah. give them free health care because they couldn't see a doctor any other way. They realized the need was so bad here in America and especially Tennessee. They show up here every three or four months. And if you go and visit one of these sites, like I did when I was running for Congress, you'll see 500 people sleeping in a car at 3 a.m. to go see a doctor in a gymnasium because they couldn't see a doctor for the past two years since the last time remote area medical was here. So we, yeah. this has to outrage us. This has yeah. to outrage us. Well, this to has to be it, the thing that people vote about. Yeah, and really to bring it on home, uh, we our church was scheduled to have a medical dental unit at our community center this Saturday. Uh, so not only out in the rural areas, but right here in 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 Franklin, Tennessee, you know, one of the wealthiest counties of in the in the in the country, we were bringing in a medical dental unit to to do medical evaluations and some dental work for the people in the community who can't afford uh, to go. Uh, to go get it done it had all that had to be scrubbed because of the what we're not supposed to be talking about <laughs> you know it, we had to reschedule it but that was going to happen uh, this saturday so it's it's people all around us who are, who are hurting um you know well, you, well and and the dental work especially that's a big deal you know dental is something that people don't think about a lot but that's a really big issue for mm -hmm. a lot of people and when remote area medical shows up a lot of what people are there for is dental but i'm glad you brought that up because obviously churches doing that work is extremely essential and and needed but the problem is that it is needed That's and exactly there's right. only so much that churches can do yeah. you know the guy i ran against mark green he stood in a church in brentwood in 2015 and said that government programs like medicaid expansion which he helped block yeah. were bad because they keep people from turning to god for answers yeah. so you know and, and no, i remember and, that and 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 what i say to him is look you know churches can do a lot of good but if churches were the answer to a problem like this, right here in the Bible Belt, in the number one most evangelical state in the entire country, we wouldn't have these problems. So exactly. it's not, it can't be all up to the churches to do this. They are not a solution to this problem. We have to look to something like government because that is the way that we take care of each other. And I think a lot of times government gets yeah. a bad rap and they like to vilify government and say we can't always turn to government. But what are we turning to? in this thing we're not supposed to be talking about right now. What are we looking to exactly. to help us? We're looking to the federal government. We're looking to the state government. These safety nets are there because this is how we take care of each other. And I think one of the biggest problems that comes out of having the party in power have such a loud voice is they spend so much time vilifying government and making it out to be the bad guy. And it's not always the answer, mm -hmm. but we have to have a balance. And right now, we don't have that balance. Well, it's I tell people it's it's a micro macro issue. As a church, uh, there are some things we can do and that we're called to do that that is really at the mic at the micro level, the small level, but we cannot do the macro, the big level picture. And so, yeah, okay, we can provide one day of dental service to a few people in our community. That's micro level, but we cannot change the laws. Um, that that will make um, you know um, dental care part of health insurance. Uh, you see, and that and so we have to do what we can on the micro level, but we have to have the government to uh, to shape the laws and the policies at the macro level. And you can use that for housing. I tell people a lot of times, you know, we can help people 
uh, if somebody falls on hard times and they need help with their rent, um, you know, a local church can help that single mom or that single parent with their rent. But but that's micro level. What we cannot do is change the laws um, that make affordable housing a right. Um, you know, that's macro. We got to have help with that. We can't do that on our own. We, we, we can't, you know, we can't um, change. We can't set laws that that will get rid of slumlords. You know, a church can't do that. We got to have we got to have the macro. And so that to me, that's how it works together. And so then if you take your faith to the state house. Uh, okay, now let's put our faith into practice and and have these macro level um, views. And I, you know, I know, I know you're you're from the Jewish faith, and and I like to use the Old Testament for this because the Old Testament talks a lot about these kind of things. And to remind people that the prophets uh, who who condemned um, who who their judgment was because the Israelites were not taking care of the poor, they weren't taking care of the widow, they weren't taking care of the immigrant, they weren't taking care of those prophets were not speaking to individual synagogues. They were speaking to the nation of Israel as a whole, the government saying the government is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. And so to me, that that's where it comes into play. My responsibility is to minister to my community, but at the same time, I have to be active to make sure at that macro level, things are being done to protect the least of these and the most vulnerable among us. Absolutely. And I think that shows up in pretty much every issue. You, know, you wanted to talk about state issues another one would be vouchers in our education system you know i think the vouchers like in theory yeah it's nice to take one or two kids from each school and help them go to a private school and change their lives but that is not solving the bigger problem that we have an f right. in education funding on a macro level and we're underfunding our education by 1.5 billion dollars a year and we have teachers not making enough money and we don't have enough resources for schools and teachers are buying supplies for these kids on their own. So, you know, the vouchers thing, it's like, okay, yes, Governor Lee wants to add $41 million this year to go help some kids in the coming school year. That's great. But that is not solving the issue that we have with education in Tennessee. And we're in Williamson County where we have great schools. But you go, again, 10 minutes in either direction, and those schools are really struggling. Nashville Metro schools are really struggling. We're not solving the problem by steering more public dollars out of the system. So we have to look at bigger fixes and the people who are against things like vouchers, they're not against the idea of helping an individual kid here or there. They're against the idea of doing it as at the expense of the other kids and not fixing the actual problem. So we have a lot of big problems that we need to tackle. It's not an easy thing, but until we fix how we view the role of government and the role that we play in each other's lives, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, and just and just to make things more complicated, the vouchers are going to private schools, which a, a good a good number of those private schools were start uh, so that the were start after desegregation. So these private schools were started so that uh, the white kids wouldn't have to go to school with the black kids. And now all these years later, now let's take government money and 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 send it to these schools that were started. They may not be that way now, but that's why they were started. Yeah, and you're, so we're you're right on it. And not only that, not only that vouchers began because of segregation exactly exactly so vouchers <laughs> the roots of vouchers were created to help white kids stay away from black kids yeah. so it's not only the private schools that were created to stay away it, these vouchers specifically they have their roots in racism and desegregation and and that is something that doesn't get talked about enough but it actually does get talked about by a lot of the black legislators that stood up against it yeah, it really does. Well, 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 Kevin, we 
we've stirred up a whole lot of stuff, so this may be a good time to take a break. Yeah, I'm having a great time here just by watching you guys. <laughs> but I, I do have I do have a kind of a, a thirty thousand foot question here, but it's probably a good time to go to a break. And when we come back, I want to get your guys' take on just kind of the 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 state of the union in the the division in this country is what what are the strategies that you can come together and and present facts and present a solution and a pathway through this um, even though we are so divided and and polar opposites and and almost violent at points but let's take a little bit of a break and uh, we'll be right back the floods of justice podcast is brought to you by the coffee house at second and bridge since 1904, they have stood at the corner of 2nd Bridge Street in the heart of downtown Franklin. Their house-made menu items are crafted with care and love. Baked goods are made from scratch each morning, and specialty coffee is always ground and brewed fresh. So come on down, wander the rooms, join us at the coffee bar, and find a space to enjoy the food, the drink, and maybe even a recording of the Floods of Justice podcast. All right, well, welcome back to Floods of Justice. We have been talking or trying to talk about all the other issues besides coronavirus, but as, as you can see, it's it's kind of inseparable from, from reality right now. So it does tie into a lot of these things. Uh, a question I had for you guys, and I, I kind of want your different opinions on this. I, you know, I'm watching discussions online um, and, and I'm seeing really uh, polar reactions to things. And when you when you question somebody's whether it's their candidate, you say something about Trump, you say something about Fauci, you say something about Bill Gates, you say something about Democrats, something about Republicans, something about vouchers, something about public school. It doesn't matter what it is. If you say something that threatens their reality or the fact that they put their vote or their faith in somebody, I'm seeing a really strong response from people completely ignoring facts from either side of it. So as you guys are... are uh, theologians and philosophers and activists and journalists, how do you think it's most effective to have these conversations when when it feels like I, I, I'm sitting here and seeing people go up against brick wall after brick wall after brick wall, it feels kind of hopeless at times, but how, how would you approach it to go, all right, this is, this is how we get through this together, not being the same, but we get through it together? Well, I'll try my best to answer that. Um, so it's not going to be possible with everybody. You know, there are people who you're going to have a hard time talking to on both sides that are set in their ways. So I think we have to aim for the people that are willing to listen. And I think the way we start talking to those people is by listening to them. Uh, I ran for Congress in a very conservative district as a Democrat and a lot of the places I went, they had never met a Democrat running for Congress before, uh, you know, Wayne County or, you know, Hardin County, Perry County. And the only way to start a conversation out in those places is by asking them what they care about and, and hearing them out. And I think in a lot of places, they really just haven't felt heard, particularly by the party that I ran with, because they just hadn't tried in a while. So, you know, I think it starts with listening. Uh, I tell a story about I was going to a state fair in Henderson County or a county fair in Henderson County. And uh, I got a message, an email three days before saying, I heard you're coming to Henderson County, bringing your socialist Marxist, this and that. And, you know, Trump's the best president we've ever had. And Hillary Clinton, this and that. And a really long email uh, expressing how much disdain they had for me and what I was doing. And I responded. And I wrote just as long an email right back to him. And I said, you know, 
here's why I'm running. Here's some things that Marshall Blackburn's done. Here's where I disagree with you. Here's where I agree with you. You know, I think people are corrupt. You're right about that. And I answered him and he responded the next day. He said, wow, I didn't expect you to respond. Thank you for responding. You know, you know, you make a little sense here and there. And, you know, I'm going to come see you in, in, at Henderson County Fair. And I, I might even bring my daughter to meet you. And the lesson that I took from that is people just need to feel heard sometimes. So I think my answer, my long answer to your question is we need to listen, you know, and, and, and it's not always going to be possible, but it always starts with listening. And Kevin, you're really good at that. Well, well, well I appreciate you saying that. I mean, my answer is pretty short. Just agree with me and we'll all get along. <laughs> it's easy. You're on. That works right? too. <laughs> that yeah, works no, too. It, it's, you know, it, it, it is tough. And, and, um, this is the most divided we've been in my lifetime. Now, um, you know, I'm told people, obviously, during the Civil War, we were more divided than this. But even during the Civil Rights uh, Movement, there was really more uh, division and more violent division than what we're experiencing right now. But, uh, uh, but we are divided. I think, I think um, coming from an a evangelical Christian perspective, we've, we've let politics become more important to us than anything else. Um, and we've, and so we've let that divide us, um, instead of, um, look, here are the issues. Um, you know, there, there are issues that the democratic party believe in that I think are biblical and more biblical than the Republicans. And then the, the reverse of that is true as well. And so it's like, and, and one thing I find that at least I try to do, I'm not always perfect at this. Um, but yet talk, keep the focus on the issues. And again, from, from my perspective, what does the, what does the Bible say about this? What does Jesus say about this issue? And not so much on um, on the personalities, you know, that are involved. And so, you know, you, you know, so I can talk about immigration, and I can talk about here's what the Bible says about welcoming the stranger in both the Old and the New Testament. Um, and I can talk about that. And so I and I can say, and so these policies that we have at the border are immoral. Um, and uh, and you can disagree with that, but but then I'm like, but if you from my perspective, well, you're not disagreeing with me. You're disagreeing with a higher standard uh, than that because these are immoral. But the moment I say it's because Trump did it, then all of a sudden everybody gets defensive again, you know. And so if you can listen to people, but also try to just stick with the issues that this this is the issues that are going on, um, you know, when it comes to the education, this is the issue. This is why vouchers will not work. This is what, you know, vouchers um, are going to leave the disadvantaged even farther behind than they already are. And the Bible talks about caring for the disadvantaged, caring for the orphan. Um, which, by the way, in, in the Old Testament, an orphan was just simply a child whose father was not present. They could have been alive, but not they could, but not dead. So, if the father was not with the child, either through divorce or just through alienation or whatever, then that child was considered an orphan. And so, uh, you know, all these parents in poverty who are single moms, um, they're they're from the biblical perspective, perspective, their child is an orphan. And not that their mom's not a good mom. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't read that into it. They're great moms. But when the Bible says take care of the orphan, it's really talking about taking care of children who are coming from single parent families. Um, and uh, and vouchers, of course, um, would uh, would would harm that because you can you know you can give you can you can give a voucher to a person in inner city to go to a private school, but unless you back that up with help with the books and help with the transportation and help with everything else. Then it's it's not going it's just not going to work. Uh, you know, I also think like you know, you talk about faith and you talk about that a lot of times the progressive message is in line with the teachings of Christ. Right. And I think progressives, especially 
do themselves a disservice by not pointing that out more. You know, conservatives and Republicans have hijacked the language of religion and the language of faith and painted progressives as, you know, non-believing heathens. But I know plenty of believing Democrats and progressives out there, mm-hmm. but they just don't talk about it as much. And I think they do themselves a disservice by not doing that because, you know, things like Medicaid expansion, Medicare for all, things like, you know, common sense, gun safety legislation, mm-hmm. paying workers a living wage, inequality, you know, these are these are biblical issues. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think w- to go back to the question that Kevin asked, you know, we need to focus on the things that bring us together. And I think at the end of the day, that's what's going to come, that's what's going to help us bridge the gap is realizing that black, white, brown, you know, they have a lot more in common when you live in poverty than they do with the uber wealthy guy on a yacht somewhere. And, you know, I think we need to realize that a lot of the wedge issues are used to keep us apart so that we don't come together and fight for the things that will actually help us address the inequality that we face throughout this country that is at the root of every single one of the issues that we're talking about. And then I would also add that that's part of why we started the holler is because, you know, it feels like the narrative that we're talking about doesn't reach the people it needs to reach. You know, there, there's a, a hammer lock on information and communication in the places that need it the most. And so that's actually why we called it the holler and not, you know, the progressive this or the liberal that or the Democrat anything. It's because, like, we want it to resonate in rural communities. We want it to be shared in those places. And the holler, you know, that's, that's got a little bit of a, a rural flavor to it. And hopefully by putting actual information out there and the truth of these matters, that can help us sort of permeate the worlds that we're talking about. And really, at the end of the day, the truth and information is the only thing that's going to help us shatter those walls. Yeah, it really is. And, and the Bible says, speak the truth in love. So you got you to gotta speak the truth or, or what is your tagline? Uh, don't stop hollering the truth or something like that. What's Always the yell the truth. Always yell the truth. Yeah. So, but there's a way you can do it in love and there's a way you can do it just to beat people up. And so you, and so we can never stop speaking the truth, even if people don't want to listen, maybe we could speak the truth in a, in a way that's more palatable at times. Now, sometimes you can't, sometimes you just got to say, you know, what you got to say uh, from that. But Anyway, I, um, we're probably about done, right, Kevin? We coming up on the on the end? Yeah, yeah, we are. Okay. <laughs> Although I don't want to end the conversation. There's more. I, there's more I want to talk. But oh yeah, yeah, well no, give us give us another question or or uh, how you but want us to wrap this up. It kind of brings back to to your roots, Justin, a bit. But in both of you, I I admire this this activism uh, attitude um, spirit to both of you. And I was you know scrolling through your website, Justin, and and there is a there is a, a boldness and a bite to to the articles and to the you know to the spirit of Tennessee Holler. Was that was that always a part of you guys? Because I'm kind of I, maybe I'm just representing the voice of the people that are like maybe the peacemakers are the ones that have kind of quietly sat back and they listen and they have opinions, but they're not necessarily bold in their actions. But you use the word outrage that you you know you were surprised that there isn't more outrage for this, and I think that's a great word. Is is outrage? What's it going to take? for people to be outraged with the current state. And for you guys, what was kind of a turning point where you said, you know what, I, I can't just have these thoughts in my head, in my head, I need to be doing something about it. And so Kevin, you do what you do. And Justin, you do what you do. 
what's kind of your your motivation on that? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's sort of coming organically from who I am as a person. You know, I, um, when I ran for Congress, I ran as sort of, you know, more with a more gentle touch. And then once I had to stop asking people for their votes, you know, I think I, I, the, the, the chain came off a little bit and I, I was free to, you know, be a little bit louder. But but it just felt like that was missing. You know, I mean, if if things weren't if if we were a state that was cruising along and we were covering people and doing all the right things. Like I, we're not just angry to be angry, you know, it, it, there are things to be really upset about in this state. And I think that a lot of times the reason that we have gotten traction is because we've given voice to that. And, you know, so I think it's a natural pr- expression of, you know, it's not time to like play nice anymore. And, you know, when they're standing in the way of a billion dollars a year that could be helping poor people with health care, like that's not something to sort of say, oh, well, that's just the way it is about. And that's true for so many things that go on in this state legislature. So, you know, I, I, it does have a bite. It is a little bit of the attack dog mentality. And that wasn't an insult. That was a compliment, by the way. No, no, no. I, and okay. I, t- I took it as a compliment, Good. honestly. Uh, I don't take that as a, I, I'm not, we don't shy away from that. I don't hide from that. I just feel like it's what's required right now. Yeah. I yeah, and for, and for me, I mean, it, it comes out of my faith. Now, it's, you know, I, I'll admit I didn't always um, see it that way, but probably about 15 plus years ago, uh, as I was reading the Bible and praying about different things and, and God had brought certain people to my life, um, I realized that, you know what, there's, there's this public aspect of living out your faith uh, that requires you to stand up. Uh, for justice and to stand against injustice and to use your voice um, to try to try to make a difference. Um, and, uh, you know, whether people want to hear this or not, in his day, Jesus would have been considered a progressive. I mean, that's just a fact. I mean, it's, there were two main Jewish schools of thought that a rabbi would go to. Um, and I can't remember the two rabbis' names that started these schools. I'd have to look it up. One was more conservative. One was considered liberal. And uh, most of the Pharisees studied under the conservative guy, and Jesus studied under the liberal guy. And a lot of his teachings are almost word for word of what um, what his what the rabbi that he studied under, or at least the rabbi school of thought that he studied under, uh, said. And so there, you just can't you're dishonest if you think that um, that Jesus was a conservative. He was not. He he got himself in trouble because he would have been considered progressive. And, uh, and stood up against the institution, mainly the institution of religion in his day, but that got him in trouble with, um, uh, with, this, with the government. And uh, I, I would encourage people to go and watch Reverend Dr. Barber mm-hmm. and on MLK Day two years ago mm-hmm. when Governor Lee had just been elected and made the mistake of showing up on that stage with Reverend Dr. Barber who lit him on fire for about a half an hour talking about what Jesus actually taught and how it lines up with the policies that yeah. Governor Lee and his people are standing in the way of. So, you know, yeah. I guess I guess mine comes out of faith also. It's, it's faith in those things that Jesus actually believed in and taught and how they line up with taking care of people. You know, I just... I think there's a lot to be angry about, frankly. You know, I'm angry yeah. that we're not taking care of people. I'm angry that we have the bust of a KKK grand wizard in our capital. I'm angry yeah. that, you know, we lead the nation in highest percentage of minimum wage jobs. 
you know, and all the things that I mentioned earlier, I'm angry that we're persecuting LGBT people. Like, you know, there's, this state is, is looking backwards in far too many ways. And, you know, to sit around and accept that as the new normal just frankly feels impossible to me. Yeah. And, you know, just one other thing about just the life of Christ, because sometimes people will say to me, well, Kevin, you can't show me in the gospels where Jesus, you know, picketed or, or, or went to the government and tried to cause problems, you know, like he wasn't, he wasn't an activist. And first of all, well, no, he was an activist. You just don't, you just don't understand his activism, but it was also, you know, Jesus was um, part of an oppressed group of people. Um, the Roman empire was not a democracy. Um, there really wasn't a whole lot that uh, outside of just doing what he did that anyone could do. But, but yet we live in a country where we have um, the freedom and the duty to try to change laws. And so, you know, if I lived under a dictatorship, um, then, you know, I could get myself in a lot, I could, you could get yourself killed for doing some of the activism. Now I would hope that I would still be willing to do that because of my faith. But, but, but what I'm getting at is in, in our country, um, if, as followers of Christ, we can make a difference. We can um, set, set up um, laws and, and uh, ordinances and different things that protect the most vulnerable among us. And if we can do that and we're not doing that, then, then part of our faith, part of our faith is missing. I mean, I can sit at home and as long as me and my family are doing well, that's okay. Um, but, uh, but that's not what Jesus talked about, you know, is, is, you know, doing to others as you'd have them doing to you. And so if, if I want healthcare for my family, I have to fight for healthcare for other people's families. You know, if, if I want a good livable ways job, then, then I have to help other people, uh, get a good livable ways job as well, because if I want that for myself, then I should want that for the uh, for the other person, and and then the people who are from an oppressed, you know, I'm I'm, I'm privileged because I'm white, and so can I use my voice um, to uh, to make a difference or to bring at least bring these things to a, to attention, be it the uh, the bus at the state capitol or the monument in our own uh, city, or be it uh, the lack of health care. Um, you know, I, I could tell you stories of some of the people that I've had to work with in the homeless community who needed health care, who needed, but they couldn't get it until we were able to get them on disability. And then once they got on disability, now all of a sudden they could get the surgery that they needed. But as long as they were uh, uh, homeless and not on disability, they, it was, you know, you're just going to die because there's nothing we can do for you. And, and that's and faith, just faith, faith, faith without works is dead, right? Faith without works is dead. And, uh, and the works come out of your love for, for at least for me, for Christ. Not that I'm trying to earn anything, but it's just this is what this is what we're called to do. Let justice, let justice roll, right? Floods of justice. That's what Amos said. That's what this whole podcast is about. Uh, is let justice, let justice flow like a mighty river. And uh, and Amos was talking to the government when he said that. Well, Amen. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, guys. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I'm going to include some of the links to references you guys made throughout this podcast in the show notes. Um, so you can check that out. And uh, Justin, we'd love to have you back at, uh, at a later date and do another episode of this. Anything we can do to help promote the hauler, we're happy to do it. Thank you again. And thank you to the listeners. We'll see you on the next episode. Floods of Justice podcast looks at the issues of our day from a biblical perspective without the labels. Join the conversation online at floodsofjustice.com or find the Reverend Dr. Kevin Riggs on Twitter at Riggs underscore Kevin.